you guys um, have your Bibles, the first verse we're going to be in is the book of Mark, chapter 9, and I'm, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But we're in our third week of the series that's called Things I Wish Jesus Never Said. We know there's a bunch of in the, in the Bible. It's almost every page, and it's not that we don't want to do them, and it's not that we're against what Jesus had to say. It's a fact that we are born in these bodies, in these these flawed human bodies and minds and hearts, and we have, we're born into sin, and we have these desires that we want to do everything our own way. Is anybody with me on that? That we're selfish. We can't help it. That's how we were born. But then thank God for Jesus that set us free. Thank God for Jesus that forgives us and shows us how to live better. But there's things that we read in Scripture sometimes that we're just instantly like, oh, it's super hard. And we got another one for you tonight, and we're talking about, if you look at the notes, the title is that Jesus, in, in so many words, basically told us to strive for last place. And I'm going to tell you what that means in a minute here. But did anybody, can we throw that picture up? Is that, is the audio, the, everything's working? Anybody catch this game on Wednesday night? Come on, that was a good game. How many of you guys, honestly, raise your hand. Wednesday night, you saw Kobe Bryant's last game in the NBA. Whoa, that was heavy, wasn't it, against the Utah Jazz? What was it, 101 to 96, I, I believe? Yeah, it was, right? Here's, here's the deal with, with Kobe. It's phenomenal, right? Even if you don't necessarily follow basketball that much or another team, you've heard of Kobe Bryant and his accomplishments. Here's some of Kobe's stats. Let me just read this for you. 20 seasons in the NBA on the same team. Only player ever to have done that with the L.A. Lakers. Um, he's got one NBA Most Valuable Player. He's got five NBA championships. He had two finals MVPs. He had 18 all-star selections. He's the second highest scoring game in NBA history with 81 points. He had six 60-point or higher games, and he was the third highest all-time scoring player with 33,643 points. Now, that is an accomplishment. Even if you're rooting for the other team, you got to give props. You got to give respect to Kobe Bryant, don't you? Come on. He's, they're calling him one of the greatest of all time, Kobe. Yeah. See, here's the deal. All that hard work, all that dedication, he goes on with this reputation for history as one of the greatest. And I think it's so cool that after he, uh, the last game, and, and he, he was just overwhelmed with emotion, he took the, the court, and he took the mic, and he said a bunch of things, thank you, believe in yourself, you know, all of that cool stuff. But one of the things he said that was really interesting, I found, was that he said, all of my career, everybody's been yelling at me to pass the ball. And in the last game, everybody kept passing me the ball. I thought it was really interesting. You know the reason why everyone was trying to pass him the ball? They wanted him to go out in victory. They wanted him to be a winner. They knew that he's retiring after 20 years. He's accomplished so much. And you know what? The team that's usually like about, no, I'm going to get up my percentage and my stats and my records. And they're all just going, you know what, Kobe? We want you to win. And they kept passing him the ball. And he played for like solid, I don't know, how, how long was he in? Does anybody remember? Rob, I'm sure. 30 minutes. Something he just, he didn't take breaks. He just went for it, sweating. And everyone's just going, shoot, shoot, shoot because they wanted him to go out with a bang to get the 60-point game as his last one. And sure enough, he got 60 points in the last game. And I thought that that was so cool, is that literally the teammates that are usually thinking of themselves are like, no, dude, Kobe, this is you. This is you. We want you to go out and stop. We, we, yeah, we don't care about our percentages and all of that stuff right now. This is about you. We want you to win. I got to believe this. Now, I don't know for a fact and, and whatever, but I'm thinking this. I mean, just to put it all in perspective. 
Everybody else in the NBA knows all that Kobe has achieved, right? And that they want him to go out big because whether they're on opposite teams and they're rivals or whatever, they have respect for what he's accomplished, right? Would you guys agree with me? I mean, he's, he's so great. I was wondering if that night during the game, the Utah Jazz, some of them might be playing a little softer than usual. I'm not, I don't want to say for sure, I don't know, but I would kind of feel like if I'm the guy and I know, yeah, he's on the other team, but this is his last one. And we respect that dude for what he's done for our sport. I wonder if some of them were just kind of missing the ball a little bit or like accidentally, oops, I dribbled and he got, you know, I wonder if that was going on. I don't know for sure or whatever, but I bet they struggle with that, at least in their mind to say, you know what? We really want this guy to go out and we want him to win. Now, here's the deal. When I look at that, that game, I think of this. All of us in our own lives, we want to be the greatest. We want to go out with a bang. We want to accomplish stuff in life. We want to perform. We want to achieve. We want to be, do our best. But as Christians now, we know that we're trying to please an audience of one, really, in reality, right? That the one that matters the most is what God thinks of us. And we want to be seen as seekers of approval, approval and blessing in his eyes. We want to be great in his eyes. Every one of us. I mean, right? That's like we want to please the Father. And that's a good heart that we should have. The problem is I think that sometimes we go about it the wrong way. What we're talking about tonight is sometimes we're trying to be the greatest and get God's approval and his blessing. We go about it in the wrong way. We go about it in ways that, that build us up and try to achieve that place of first place in his sight and all of this and, and achieve the, uh, uh, the blessing of God. But we do it by building into ourselves. Now, this isn't necessarily bad, but it's things like, God, you know how much I read the Bible? I have memorized so much of this, and I've memorized so much of that. And he's like, yeah, that's good. That's awesome. Read my word. Get it in you. Get to know it. God, you know what? I'm in church tonight. I haven't missed church a weekend five years. God, I was sick. I went anyway. I know I probably got other people sick, but God, I was there because I want to please you, right? Like I got a perfect attendance record in going to church. And it could be this, God, I don't cuss. I don't swear. I don't speed too much. I, I rarely text and drive. You know, it's like we do all of these things to say we want to be the best. Now, here's the, the reality and what we're talking about tonight is God says that's all good stuff and you should. And you should be eternally, con consistently every day going through the process of sanctification, of, of cleaning up, of becoming more holy, of getting rid of the bad and, and, and getting more of his spirit and his goodness in your life. And that's a good thing. But he says this tonight, this is what we're going to look at, the thing that's hard for us to swallow. If you want to be the greatest, it's not personal achievements like it is in sports in the sports world. If you want to be the greatest, what we're looking at tonight is you have to make others great. What we're talking about tonight is Jesus is asking us to strive for last place. He's literally saying all that stuff is good and, and, I'll, and I'm going to bless you for the way you live your life. But if you want to be great, if you want to be important, if you want to get my full approval and blessing and, and be great in my eyes and be blessable, I'm telling you to make other people great. And that's what we're going to be talking about here tonight, is that Jesus expects us to take last place. Um, look at Mark. I said we're going to be in Mark. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 33 and 35. Now, this is, this is what I mean by Jesus expects us to take last place. Um, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, his 12, right? And he had just recently come from, if you read the whole gospel story, and I hope you go and read behind in Mark at what had just happened, is Jesus had recently been, um, they call it the, um, the transfiguration. 
where Jesus says he had his 12 boys that he hung out with, that he was teaching and discipling. And he had the crowds, the masses, but oftentimes he'd get away from the crowds and he'd just hang with the 12 and he'd teach them. But within the 12, you guys know that he has three favorites. There's really ones that he mentored, Peter, James, and John. If you guys read anywhere, there's oftentimes that only Peter, James, and John would be allowed to go in with him while he healed someone, raised someone from the dead. Only Peter, James, and John were with him on the mountain of transfiguration. Now, what is transfiguration? Well, he said, Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. We're going to go up to this high mountain. They go up to this high mountain, and all of a sudden, the presence of God is there. Jesus just becomes glowing white. He's just like the whitest bleach. He's just glowing, ah, right? And all of a sudden, uh, Elijah and Moses show up, right? Their spirits or, or whatever from long ago, not, not in the flesh, but they showed up. They start hanging out with Jesus. Peter, James, and John are just like jaws on the floor like, oh, what is happening? We're really seeing this? This is so cool. And then this voice from heaven, if you remember, God the Father says, hey, this is my son. Listen to him. Obey him. Listen to what he has to say. It's of utmost importance. And so this crazy experience, they're all blown away. Peter actually runs off at the mouth a little bit like he often did, if you guys remember. And he's like, God, this is so good. Let's build little shelters for you and Elijah and Moses. We'll hang out. We'll camp here. This is amazing. And pretty much Peter gets just straight ignored, right? <laughs> Shut up, Peter. Like, not to be mean, but it's like, Peter so many times jumped ahead. He was so spontaneous and so zealous. But, but basically, this incredible experience, they come off the mountain, and he goes, hey, don't, don't mention this to anybody. But in this, these three, think about this. They're feeling pretty special. Dude, we just got picked out of the rest of the 12 over here. The three of us got to go up, and we saw something that no one else saw. And it was crazy, and it was beautiful, and it was wonderful. We heard the voice of the Father. We saw Elijah Moses. We, Jesus is glowing. Man, this is cool. So now... They're walking through, uh, down the roads, and they're walking into uh, the village and the town of Capernaum, and they've been having discussion about kind of what they just went through and about one another. Now, here's where we pick up the story in verse 33. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum and they settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, hey, uh, what were you guys discussing out there on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. They had been just talking. I mean, think about this. They're just like, oh, we're the best, right? We're like the three musketeers. We get to go and everybody else stays behind. Oh, we're pretty good. Yeah, Jesus must love us. We must be pretty great. The word great here, just so you understand it, it means of higher rank, maybe possibly the best follower of Jesus, the most spiritual, the most deserving of a blessing or a praise. They're all having this argument while they're walking along and they probably don't want Jesus to hear, but they're like, oh, we're pretty cool, yeah? Like us alone, everybody else. And then among themselves, the three, they start arguing. Well, who do you think of, of the three is closer to Jesus? Who do you think of which one of us is going to be the most blessed in the kingdom of God? When we go to heaven, who gets to hang out the most? Who's the tightest with Jesus? And Peter's going like, you got to be thinking, right? Peter's probably going, any of you guys walk on water? He goes, I'm the man. I win right there, right? And then you got like John over there who's, who's uh, brothers with James. And John's going, no, but you know what it says? I'm, I'm the beloved. I'm the one that Jesus really loves. I'm his best friend. And they're arguing amongst themselves, who's better? Well, I healed that one guy. Yeah, but I healed these two guys over here. Yeah, but I, I do this and I do this. And Jesus talked to me this way. And they're basically all going, what can we do to perform and achieve greatness and closeness in the highest rank that Jesus himself would say, you are doing it right. I love you. You make me proud. This is the best that you could possibly do. Now, so Jesus comes along. He knew what they've been talking about. Then look in verse 35. He sat down, which is symbolic of rabbis or teachers in the day. 
if they're about to deliver a message or to talk to you and have a serious talk, they come and they take their place and it's a sitting. I'm going to teach while I sit. So he sat down. So they're going, oh, he's going to teach us something. He called the 12 disciples all over to him and he said, look, I know what you guys are talking about, but he says this, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. The title of the sermon is God is telling us to strive for last place. Not first place. It goes opposite the way the world thinks, which is why it is something I wish Jesus never said because it's easy for me and my world and you and the way we've been brought up to say, how do I earn first place? How do I get the achievements? How do I get the accolades? How do I get all of this to impress Jesus? And this flips our world upside down and Jesus goes, you want to be great? I want you to make others great. I want you to take last place and I want you to be the servant of everyone else. Now, this is what's great about Jesus in this passage is he didn't put them on blast. He didn't condemn them. He didn't rebuke them. He knew what they were arguing about, and it's pretty ridiculous. But he loved them enough to just correct them and to help them. Why? Because he wanted to make them great. In exactly what he's talking about, you're great when you make others great. He modeled it, and he goes, I'm not going to blast you or judge you or make you feel dumb. You guys are arguing about something dumb. But come here. I just want to correct you. Why? Because I want you to get it because I want you to be great. That's the heart of Jesus, that he loves us. He doesn't judge, this, judge us on this. In Matthew 10, 39, the New King James Version says in another place that Jesus taught this, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, he who clings to life and you're striving to try to get your life, you're actually going to lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Strive to be last, and this is what he's saying, be a loser. Lose your life. Remember last week, be a quitter. Here's Jesus saying something that I don't want to hear. Be a loser. When you lose your life and all of your control and everything that you think is going to win, but you do it for my sake, that's what will make you great. That's what will get my love. I love you most when you strive for last. Isn't that a heavy concept? He says, serve others, help others win. It was so interesting when I was watching that, the end of that game with Kobe Bryant, and I was and I was at my uh, brother-in-law's house, sister-in-law's house, and my little nephew, he's telling his dad, Dad, everybody's congratulating Kobe, but that guy right there, he wasn't even on his team. That's like they, were, they had like rivalry, didn't they, Dad? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, well, those, those guys right there, they play for the Utah Jazz. How come they're congratulating Kobe? How come they're like telling him good? Like they're on the other team. And he goes, because there's respect for who he is, and everybody wanted Kobe to win. They wanted him to go out with a bang. And here's what Jesus is saying, is that this isn't sports life that we have. It's not a competition. It's actually the opposite, is that we are called to be last and to help other people win. Are you guys getting what I'm hearing tonight? It's a simple message, but it's hard to swallow. How many of us actually go out of our way so that other people can win? Jesus is saying, come in last place, be a loser. That's when I love you the most. That's when I'm the most proud of you. That is when you're great. And then he says, then he does this, which I love is he actually showed by action what it is to serve. In other words, Jesus didn't just teach us something. He goes, watch me as I do it. Jesus showed us how because of this. Real love requires action, doesn't it? You can say you have love for someone, but if you don't show it, it doesn't mean anything. So at the Last Supper, here's the image is, the last night, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He knows what's about to happen. He's trying to tell them what's about to happen. This is his last hurrah, his party with them. And somewhere along the line, in the middle of dinner, Jesus gets up from the table, and you guys know the story. 
he gets out some water and he gets, takes off his garment and his towel and, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. In other words, he had just recently told them, hey, I want you to serve one another. I want you to come in last. I want you to help others win and others to take first place. And they're all, well, that's heavy. I don't know if we can do that. And then Jesus shows up at the Last Supper. He gets up from the table and here's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, their best friend, their mentor, the one that showed them all of this stuff. And he takes the position of the lowest servant in the house. Back then in Bible days, if you had money, you had servants, and they did all types of different things. You might do the dishes, you take care of the animals, you do the clothes or whatever. But the least servant in rank was the one that had to wash people's feet as they entered the house. Why? Because you're walking around the roads of Palestine all day, and you're walking in all the stuff that the animals do, and you're walking in like just dirt, and you're, and you're walking in sandals, right? You don't got boots on. You don't got like shoes on. It's dirty. It's disgusting. It's gross. It's sweaty. And the lowest, most humble servant, their job was to wash people's feet off. Jesus gets up in the middle of, of dinner, and he starts washing the disciples' feet. He served them communion. And after he did this, they're blown away. They don't know what to do. They're shocked. They're like, Man, why are we letting him do this? Is, I don't, we don't get this. What's going on? In John 13, 15, 15, he says this at the end of it. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Here's Jesus. He lived his life never putting himself in a position above other people. Here's Jesus that walked around, that he, that he healed the sick, he healed the blind. He walked often miles and miles to meet with people to heal people, to raise people from the dead, to teach people uh, lessons, to meet the needs of those that are simple and questioning. He made things clear to them. Here's the same Jesus that, that just during this supper, this dinner, he serves all of these guys communion and washes their feet, knowing full well that several hours from now, all of them are going to desert him and run away. It says that. Read the rest of the Gospels. When he got arrested, it says, all of his disciples deserted him and fled. Here's Jesus coming in going, man, I love you. I love you, John. I'm washing. Gross. Did you step in gum? Like that's this guy. You know, like, he's literally getting down there washing this and like, okay, who has the donkey? That's disgusting. You know, he's washing their feet knowing full well that they're about to desert him and leave. Now here's the example that he leaves us when he says, I've given you an example. Look, I did it. I acted it out. I want you to do as I have done. So we're talking tonight about striving for last place. And here's the big one, serve others. This is a command that Jesus said over and over in the Bible. If we have real love for someone, we're going to show it by our actions. And he wants us to strive for last place so that we can help other people to win. Now, what does that look like exactly in our lives? What are we talking about? Because um, some people have built a whole theology and doctrine on washing feet. And they want to go around and wash everybody's feet. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just that I think we take it a little too literal and we think it's only about washing feet. And Jesus is saying, no, no, it's, it's a heart. It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. It's not, I'm not telling you one specific thing to go around and washing people's feet. I'm saying, humble yourselves. And I'm the most proud of you. And I love you the most. And I call you great in my kingdom when you're putting other people's needs ahead of your own and you're learning to serve people with a full heart. So what does that mean? Well, I want to give you three things tonight that I see in Scripture that I think are vital for us to have um, this attitude of humbly serving other people. Now, here's the first one, is you need to develop a heart to serve. It's got to start from the heart, right? It's got to be from inside of us, and this is what I mean. It's more than just being a nice person. It's more than just being a nice guy, because nice 
starts to wear off after a while, right? Because people will start to take advantage of nice. And if you're having a bad day, then nice guy disappears and you turn into grumpy day. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like you, you, nice doesn't always cut it. There's a guy in Japan, one of my friends I met on a bunch of the mission trips I've been on. And uh, he doesn't know a whole lot of English, so we, we, we have conversation through translators, and he talks a little bit. And we actually prayed with him to find Jesus Christ, and God moved in his life and changed it. So when, when we go back oftentimes to this one city, he's always there. And, and this friend of mine, he, um, he always introduces me to his friends. He brings his friends around, and I'll be there. And he always says, oh, this is, uh, this is Pastor Carl, right? Because it's hard to say R and L when you have a Japanese accent. So it's Carl, right, man? This, Pastor Carl, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, hi, I'm, I'm Carl. And, um, <laughs> but he always says this about me. This is how he introduces me. He is nice guy. He is nice guy. This is nice guy. Like, that's, his, that's the best he can do to describe, like, who I am, you know? And um, it's cool that I'm nice guy, but the reality is I don't want to just be known as a nice guy. In order to really love people and serve people, it's more than just being a nice person. It's got to come from a heart that is changed that you understand that I'm serving you, not because I'm just a nice person, I'm in a good mood today, but I'm understanding that there's a God that has come into my life and has changed it, and I understand that because he loves and serves me, that I'm able to have a heart that can now look at the needs of other people and I can serve other people. You guys get what I'm saying? It's got to be in the heart. You could walk around all day long doing nice things for people, and that's just, you're just a nice guy. But it's not, if it's not from a true heart of change, then it's just not the same. So here's, it, it's more than being a nice guy. You got to develop a heart to serve. And that, my friends, is just a process between you and God. And it has a lot to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. It has a lot to do with going to church, surrounding yourself with good people, reading the, the Bible. But it's your choice to let God change your heart. I, I can preach on blue in the face, but if you're just going, it sounds really good and it's great for other people, but... I'm just going to do my own thing, then it, it's useless. If you want God to call you great, you want him to bless your life, at some point, you got to surrender. you got to let him hit that heart of yours that is hard, and you got to let him soften it. you got to let him work it and challenge it a little bit. And you got to learn what it is to surrender control and trust and put it in him and see what he can do. But it's got to start in the heart. Here's a great thing about, ser- about serving other people is it's not dependent on your resources your money, your personality, your skill, the experiences that you've had, is that you start where you're at. If you've got the right heart, basically all you got to do is do whatever you can with whatever you can to love on other people. It's simple. There is no like, well, when I get to be holy enough or if I'm rich or if I'm this or I'm that, it doesn't matter where you're at. If your heart is right, it's going to naturally flow out of you. God, you loved me. You served me all the time. My way of loving you back is by showing it to the people around me. I'm just going to serve with whatever I got, whoever I am. So there's no one in this room tonight that can argue with me and say, oh, that's cool, Pastor Carl, but I'm not there yet. No, you're there. You're there. If your heart is right with God, then you have what it takes to begin serving people wherever you are with whatever you have. Um, here's an interesting thing. I talked to a, a friend that goes to this church, Anchor Church, and, and he owns a tattoo shop. And he came to me with this cool idea that he puts on a, a tattoo expo every year. Downtown gets like 30,000 people to show up at this thing, right? The, t- the Hawaii Tattoo Expo. And he tells me this. Hey, you know what? Um, I love this church. I love what's going on. You're introducing people to Jesus. This is uh, where I work and how I do business. I got a big tattoo expo. Why don't you guys, here's my idea. 
come down with a tent, an anchor church tent and some guys with shirts on and come and set up a booth at my tattoo expo. And I'm like, what do I have to give? Like, I, I don't know how to do tattoos. You wouldn't want me with a tattoo gun in my hand. Like, what do I have to get? Like, really, what do I have? And then basically in talking to him, he goes, no, just show up and meet people and love people. And so you got to understand what a cool idea is. I don't really have any, well, I could give him some of those Anchor Church koozies. Like, here, let's keep, keep your beer cold. Like, I mean, what, I, what do I have to offer other than what a cool idea to just say, you're Christians, you have Jesus, just give Jesus away. Remember in the Bible, it's like, uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you, get up and walk. Give away whatever you have. If you've got a right heart for Jesus Christ, just serve someone somehow. So you know what we're actually planning to do is, August, whenever that tattoo expo, we're going to go get a booth, set it up, have a bunch of people in shirts, and just be there and sh share friendship and the love of Jesus and get to know some people, invite them to church, and that's really all we got to give away. But that's good stuff, isn't it? Serving has to start somewhere. You, anybody in here can start right where they're at. If you got the right heart, you're good. You're golden. Here's the second thing you need to have is you need to have eyes to serve. It's one thing to have a heart to serve, but if you're not aware of the needs around you, you're just like, I want to serve God, but I don't know where, I don't know how. You know what you do? Is you pray. God, my heart is right, which then enables you to have the eyes that are right to see the needs around you. Listen to this verse in Matthew 25, verses 35 to 40 in the New American Standard Bible version. It says this. Jesus is talking now. Here's the, the precedence. Uh, who gets into the kingdom of God? Who's going to make it into eternity with God the Father and, and the rest of the family of God? And Jesus says, hey, uh, those of you that did the right stuff, that you lived a right life, and what does that look like? Here's how he describes it. He says, you can come in, and you're part of the kingdom, um, because of you bless me. He says this, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked without clothing, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous, those that are gonna make it into the kingdom, those that he's proud of, the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, wait, wait, because you're talking about all the Christians all over all time and you're in heaven and so when really, Lord, did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did this to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. But do you see the, the word that I kept saying loudly in there was, Lord, when did we see you hungry, see you thirsty, see you a stranger, see you in need of clothing, see you sick, see you in prison? The definition, one of the definitions I have for serving other people is you see a need and you fill it. It's a definition, a great definition for serving people is you simply see a need because you can't meet the need unless you've seen it first. So we need to pray for God to say, God, change my heart but God, give me eyes to see. When my heart is changed, suddenly my eyes are looking around and I'm seeing things from a whole new perspective. So be aware of the needs that are around you. If you want to start serving, realize that there's more of them around you than you think when you develop that right heart. It's like this. Uh, I used to go diving. I, like I, I tell you, I like to go diving. It's therapeutic on my Sabbath. I dive for shells and all this. stuff. So I go diving and have one of those cheap masks that you buy from, you know, wherever, Walmart or something like that. And it was all right, but it would fog up and I couldn't see super clear. It was glass, but it was all right. I thought it was good enough. 
Then I got a new mask. I got a new mask that's like high definition, iridium lenses. It's like anti-glare. It's extra clarity. It lets more light in. And it was like night and day. And here's what I've discovered is with the new mask, I find more shells. And this is the, the thing that I, I look at in scripture here is eyes to see and eyes to serve. Is that normally we are wired to look through the lens, the goggles, the me goggles of does it serve me? What's going to benefit me? Uh, what's going on in life? I don't see too many other needs. You get the right heart for God. You put on the God goggles and suddenly everything becomes clear. You're like, oh, there's an opportunity to bless that guy right there. Wow, I never saw that before. There's someone hurting. I've been working with that guy next to me in my cubicle for 13 years, and suddenly I see that he has all these needs in his life. God, thank you that you've changed my heart. You've given me eyes to see. I want to serve some people. Is that good? God can give us those eyes to be aware of the needs. And let me tell you this, guys, start small. Start wherever you're at looking for the needs around you. It doesn't have to be big. You see someone struggling, a mom in the grocery store line, you know what you do? You offer up her place and you just go, hey, here's a way to simply serve you and get you out of here because you got kids climbing the walls and stealing candy bars. Let me just get you out of here. <laughs> Let me help you with your life. I want you to win today. I can wait a few extra minutes. You guys get what I'm saying? Start small. Serve your family. You already live around people. What can you do to bless them? Give them rides, treat them to meals. What did Jesus say? Hey, you saw me hungry. Look for people who are hungry. Help them get some food. Treat them to a meal. Oh, you, you saw me, I was, in, I was in prison. You saw me, I was sick. Hey, help people out that are sick or they can't do things on their own. Give people rides. It's simple. Start small. Real serving is not waiting to be asked. I think that's another thing is so many of us, we do stuff when we're asked and really Jesus is going, oh, that's a no-brainer. You were asked, so you did something. Oftentimes, real serving is when nobody asks you to do anything and you just did it anyway. You get the focus off of yourself and you see the needs of other people. I think of it like this. Anybody ever taken selfie pictures on your phone? Anybody? Who's guilty? Who's guilty? Who's the selfie bandits in there? You love yourself. And you're like, oh, here's me. Hi, you know? Here's a problem. Sometimes I go through life and I have selfie mode on when it comes to meeting the needs of others. You know what selfie mode is? When you take a selfie, guess what happens? You're front and center and everybody else is behind you. And you can maybe barely fit in another person if you do it right. But you're the one in the field of vision, and it's really, it's all about you, right? But when you turn the camera facing around the other way, you know what happens is? You focus on other people, and you're not in the picture at all. See, I think God wants us to give us the kind of vision that says, Carl, get out of selfie mode where it's all you and you in front and other people there, but they're in the back. Because I want you to focus on other people, and you're not even in the picture. Strive for last place. Isn't that good? Have those eyes to see those needs. And here's the third thing is make time to serve. Well, what, what is making time to serve? We're so busy. Sometimes we get so single-minded that we forget that there's needs all around us. And I believe this is when you have a heart to serve and you have eyes to serve, is that the Holy Spirit is going to allow you to make time to meet the needs of other people and to serve other people. I call it being available for holy interruptions. That sometimes God is going to interrupt your life and it's going to be inconvenient. But if your heart is right and your eyes are open, then you're going to stop what you're doing. When's the best time to serve? Whenever the Holy Spirit tells you to. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to meet the needs of everybody and everybody's going to be after you and you're not going to have any time to live your life or bless your own family or any of that stuff. It means this, that you pray every single time that there's a potential need and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is this one that you want me to drop everything and go do right now? And he's not going to tell you yes every time, but there's going to be times when it's a holy interruption and you're like, I was just getting started with my day, but you know what? My heart's right. I see the need right there, and God's telling me, I'm going to go do something about this thing right now. 
Make the time for the holy interruptions. Think about Jesus. Think that Jesus, the one time when, when there was uh, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, and Jesus is walking by with all the crowds. You guys remember the story in Scripture? And little Zacchaeus, he's a short guy, so he had to climb a tree so he could see Jesus. You guys remember that story? Remember what Jesus did? Is that he actually took the initiative, that he actually made time in the middle of all that he was going and where he was going, and he just calls out and he went to Zacchaeus. It was just a Holy Spirit interruption. I need to talk to that guy. Hey, Zacchaeus. You know what? Come down. I'm going to go hang out at your house today and we're going to eat at your, your house. Go make me dinner, right? It was like Jesus basically going, I'm on my way, but I see someone that needs me. He went to the trouble of climbing a tree. He's got a need and he stops what he's doing. Holy interruption. He goes, dude, I like you. I'm going to hang out at your house today. Get the barbecue fired up. I'm coming over, right? That's the kind of guy that Jesus was. And remember what Jesus said earlier in, in the sermon, the message? Hey, I've given you an example. Now you go and do as I have done for you. I want to show you guys a video. I almost spaced on this. I apologize. I want to show you guys a video of what it looks like to be servants in the world that we live in when God puts something on your heart. He changes your heart and he gives you eyes to serve. Check out this story of my friends Tim and Holly. Look at the screens. We were very success driven. We had a whole bunch of things and stuff and nice house and we always went to church, but my wife was super passionate and she would tell me all the time, there's more to life than the way that we're living it. About two and a half, three years ago, we felt like very clearly like God gave us a vision of what we were supposed to do. We didn't know when, we didn't know how, um, all those questions that you ask yourself, like, it can't, you know, how is it going to be possible? We had already scheduled to go to the Hillsong Conference that year, and I was like, I just kind of threw something out at her. I was like, what if we came back from the Hillsong Conference and you quit your job and went full-time into a nonprofit? And we just both kind of paused and looked at each other and were like, can we do that? Like, I, I don't think so, because at that time she was making twice as much money as I was making and all that kind of stuff. So. We didn't really know how it was there, but the seed was kind of planted. We went to Hillsong Conference, and it was just amazing. Like, literally from the very first night all the way through the conference, it was confirmation after confirmation of God telling us, like, to go. And it was, like, so clear and so scary, like, terrifying scary, because God was telling us, He was telling me to quit my job, and that we we felt that and we knew that but then when he said now it was just it just made it real uh, 199 initiative is what we named our uh, nonprofit and first it's the word initiative it's like doing something being active taking action that nobody else is and then 199 comes from uh, Luke 15 where uh, Jesus tells three different stories about uh, things being lost and the owner doing everything possible to try and find that. So we feel like we're after that one. The 99 are here in this church, safe, awesome, great. Let's go find that one and, and bring them in to where uh, they would normally never come here. So we partner with restaurants, bars, communities for the recycling. I do pickups however many times a week they need to pick up, and we redeem that, and then 100% of those um, proceeds or profits go to community services. So Laundry Love is 
um, 100% funded through recycling. Compassion children are 100% funded through recycling. So it's amazing what God can do with nothing. Well, Holly's been always very passionate about the homeless population. So we knew when we were starting 199 that that's what we wanted to focus on. Uh, the homeless community, but also uh, living in Hawaii is, is extremely expensive. So we wanted to go after the working poor as well. We decided we're gonna take over laundry mats, we're gonna build relationships, we're gonna focus more on building the relationship rather than simply um, paying for people's laundry. We do that about three times a month now. We take over different laundromats in Kanyoi, and the relationships we've been able to build uh, just since August are amazing. I never thought I would like recycling. I never thought I would like digging through trash cans, but I really do. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy it because it gets me to do what I love to do. And I'm pretty sure we get a whole lot more out of it than the people that we help. So many people feel unloved and feel like they're unlovable simply because of the way they look. And so we're out there loving the unlovable and just being Jesus, loving people like Jesus would. And through relationships, opening up doors for communication. We are loved when we don't deserve it. We want to love everyone the way that we're loved. You, know, you can stand on a street corner and be like, Jesus loves you. But they don't understand that love until you show them that love. If God's calling you to do something, listen and do it. Be obedient to it, um, no matter what size it is. Laundry Loves is super neat because it's more than laundry. It's more than quarters and providing detergent. It's really the simplest thing um, with the greatest reward. Yeah. See, here's, here's the main point is that you're not all going to go out there and start a nonprofit. You're not going to quit your jobs and you're not going to do all of this stuff. But God is saying, is it in you? Do you have the right heart? Because what makes you great in my eyes is that you would make other people great, is that you would strive for last place and you would help others win. Now, I don't know what it looks like in your life. It might start right in your home. It might start at, at the office. It might start by giving someone a ride home tonight, treating someone to zippies right after church. I don't know what it looks like, but it's going to look different for everybody in this room. I'm not going to give you too many ideas and examples because I want you to go home tonight and just say, God, how can I be great in your eyes? Would you reveal to me the needs of those around me that I could step in, I could make a difference? Because when we ser serve other people, Look, you're meeting a need, number one. You're blessing someone else's life. But you start getting fulfillment out of doing something that the purpose that God created you for. And God's up there applauding you and blessing you. And there's another verse in Scripture that actually says, to the amount that you give is the measure that you will receive. So the amount of blessing that you're going to get from God is the amount that you're doing things that make you great in his eyes. When you're serving other people, God is going to reward you. He's going to bless you. So here's the challenge for this week. I want you to maybe write this down or just remember this. Every day this week, I dare you to get out of your normal comfort zone and to do something to serve someone without being asked. Something new, something that you don't normally do, something that either normally you have to be asked to do or something new that the Holy Spirit gives you. 
And I want you to just allow God to begin to stir up in you that heart to serve. I want not just Tim and Holly and not just some of the community outreach teams that we do. I want our whole church family together to be known as a body of believers that is out to champion the cause of other people, that we're willing to take last place because we want others to win. Because when we do that, guess what happens? You start to look a little bit more like Jesus. And that's the whole goal of why we're called Christians. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word tonight, Lord. That is um, that's very convicting, God. I know that my, my life and my career is, is in serving people, but God, it, it, what counts most is in the small stuff. It's in the stuff that isn't expected. It's in, it's in serving my family. It's in serving the people around me that I work with and that I live with and that I see out on the street or at the beach or in the hardware store or wherever I'm at, God. Lord, I pray that you would give me a full heart, Father God, that you would give me more of a heart and a desire to take last place and to put other people ahead of me. Lord, we're supposed to look like you. We take your name, Christian. Lord, we're supposed to have some family resemblance. So Lord, I pray that you would give us the right heart to serve. You would give us eyes to serve and see the needs around us. And Father God, that you would allow us to, to start right where we're at. Lord, to, to be small in, in just little simple things, Father God, that would lead to greater things, Lord, so that we can get your blessing, God. I pray that tonight that you would just begin a new work in our hearts. And I want to pray a further prayer right now with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed. And I just want to lead probably a few people in here tonight into that first startup relationship with Jesus Christ. The fact that you, you might already have known about God growing up, you might have even went to Christian or Catholic school or something, learned some lessons about God and who he is. You might have read the Bible a few times, but all of that doesn't get you the full benefits and rewards and intimate relationship with God that he's really looking for. <clears throat> to do that, it's like any relationship. You gotta trust someone and you gotta ask them to come into a tight relationship. It's a partnership that God's waiting for you, but you have to give him permission to come in. You gotta surrender your life to him. You gotta believe that he died on that cross to bring you back into relationship with him. And he rose from the dead on the third day to prove that he had the power over death, but also the power over sin and everything that separates us from him. And if you're here tonight ready to pray that prayer, to make a decision to really become a Christian, to let God into your life and that you would begin to follow him and let him do his work in you, then I wanna lead you in that prayer right now. I'm gonna make it easy for you. The hard part is your decision to really surrender in your heart. But the easy part is I'm gonna lead you in a prayer out loud as you pray quietly under your breath with me, just the words that I'm saying. But if that's something you'd wanna do right now, that you wanna walk out of here a changed person for all of eternity, knowing that you're in the family of God, you're saved, you're forgiven, you're a new creation, then I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And before we pray, I'm just going to ask you to let me know if you're going to pray with me. I just want to know who I get the privilege of praying with. Everybody's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, but I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to pray this with me. And then I'll pray out loud, you quietly, and God's going to change your life. But just on the count of three, if that's you, raise your hand. One, two, three. Would you just lift your hand if that's you right now, if there's anybody in here? Hold it up until I see it and acknowledge it. I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, someone in the back, twelve, thirteen. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for those hands. Go ahead and put your hands down, and if that's you right now, then this is a holy moment. We don't take this lightly. The rest of the church, you'd be praying for these people right now. They're doing business with God right now, but if you raise your hand, 
I just want you to pray this prayer that I'm going to say out loud. You make this real in your heart. God, I'm here right now, Lord, and I need you. Lord, and I believe in it, Lord, and I'm taking a step of faith right now to tell you in my heart of hearts, Lord, that I want to follow you. Lord, here's my life. Whatever mess it's in, I believe that you're here to fix it and to clean it up and to do something awesome with it. So God, I'm taking a big step of faith right now and saying, I want you to be my God. I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin and my separation from you. And so Lord, I believe that right now as I'm saying yes to you, it's not a one-time prayer. It's that I'm going to believe in you and follow you all the days of my life until I see you face to face in heaven one day. So God, I'm going to live this thing out. I'm going to believe in it. So Lord, I receive all that you have for me, Lord, the power to change my heart, change my life. Lord, I promise to, to get involved in reading your word and going to church and being baptized and receiving the power of your Holy Spirit to change my life. Lord, I don't know all there is to know about you, but Lord, I'm taking that first step to say yes to you and allow you to come into my life. Thank you for being my God from here on out into eternity. Help me to begin to look like you and to have a blessed life that can bless other people as well. Thank you for what you're doing right now in my life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Can we just pray?